to the Gym Class Zeros podcast, where the zeros are the heroes, baby. I'm fired up. I am fired up. I want to start off the podcast with a shout out to Joe Barzik for recording our new intro music. I'm sure you guys heard it. It's a banger, and that's a Gym Class Zeros exclusive. And if you're new here, this is probably the first time you heard that, but this, this is also the first time you hear us. So welcome to the Gym Class Zeroes podcast. My name is George. Hey guys, this is Seti. What's going on guys? The snow is melting finally. It's your boy Coach back for another episode, another Tuesday night. Let's get down to business, boys. And I'm Brewmaster Kyle. That's it. And that's right where we're going we're gonna to keep it going with Brewmaster Kyle back with another edition of Bland's Brew of the Week. So, Mr. Bland, what do you got brewing for us? Guys, I'm super excited about this one. Uh, today, we got the Juicy-Ass IPA from Fly Monkeys Brewery in Barrie, Ontario. Uh, this one's very, very juicy, as the name suggests. It's loaded with hop, pine aromas, and lots of grapefruit tones when you taste it. Uh, it's not overly bitter, which is uh, typical of an IPA, but awfully juicy as it would say uh this one is coming in at 69 ibu and uh, a six and a half percent and it's just a really nice beer what do you guys think uh for me i think it's uh it's a little hoppy for my taste uh i do like the the sweetness of the the juicy part but uh, for me 69 is a little too high uh I i like my beers a little less hoppy than this but overall it's it's not too bad of a beer Fair enough. Fair enough. What a great number. What a great IBU. Just right, 69. The first time I tried this beer, I didn't really like it, but the more I've had it, the more I've come to enjoy it. As you guys probably noticed, it's the first beer that is not from the Ottawa region. Uh, we're trying to expand here across Ontario. And who knows where we'll go from there, but uh, I really like this beer. Um, I would definitely have it again. You bet your juicy ass I would. George, what do you think? George. Me personally, if it's not Whole Garden, I'm in love. So that's right where I stand. No, I agree. As far as the juiciness factor to it, it's pretty nice. And, and when I'm having my craft beers, I usually lean towards something a bit more hoppy every now and again. And so this is a kind of like that nice, uh, nice in between where you've got the flavor, you've got the juiciness, and then you've got that hoppiness that just kind of punches you in the mouth. And, and I like that. So uh, I'm all for it. The juicy ass name corresponds to the IBU number at all? You think that's coincidence? I think uh, definitely not. I think this is God's way of telling us he loves us. It has more to do with the people that are drinking it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Mr. Bland, thanks again for another edition of Bland's Brew of the Week, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Perfect. So we're chugging along here. Let's talk some basketball first this week. I'm sure you guys saw it. Blake Griffin joins the Nets, joins the super team. Uh, with Durant, Irving, and Harding, Harden, excuse me. Uh, that kind of brings up the question, though, is what I, I wanted to kind of discuss this week. Should the league be able to veto trades or signings in order to avoid super teams? Like we 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 think back at kind of when Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James uh, teamed up in Miami, and they kind of went on that streak where they won a ton of championships, and it's kind of unfair when players just kind of come together. Um, and so do you think that it's the league's place to jump in and stop that or teams can do whatever they want as long as they're willing to dish out the cash? So what do you think, coach? This is bullshit, man. 
I mean, I've been watching the NBA for a long time now, and and for as long as I can remember, as you mentioned, talking about LeBron James joining the Heat, Chris Bosh leaving the Raptors to go to Miami to play with Dwayne Wade. Uh, not too long after that, uh, the Hornets were going to trade CP3 to the Lakers. It was a three-team trade between the Hornets, the Lakers, and the Rockets. And um, the NBA stopped it. They vetoed the trade because they didn't think it was fair to have uh, CP3, who was at the time arguably uh, in the prime of his career to go play with Kobe Bryant. And then what happens a year or two later, he gets traded to the other team in LA, goes to the Clippers, joins Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. They form some sort of super team. And, and, uh, and from that point on, it's just been the teams with the most cash to spend are just, they're signing the best players. There's no, how can I say it? The teams are not even in the NBA. You know, it, it, every year, like you look at the standings and you look at the rosters and you can automatically assume who's going to make the finals. Um, I, I think that's not the way to do it. I think um, the players should explore other options rather than, than just go play with their friends who are also elite NBA players. Um, I, I think... I stopped watching the NBA a little bit due to the fact that, you know, for all those years, you knew the Warriors were going to go to the finals and you knew the Heat were going to go to the finals, right? So I'm just not a fan of that. I think it's unfortunate that that's how they choose to do things. Uh, and and I and I really wish that there was e- more evenly, evenly spread out amongst uh, all-star players. So, Sadie, what do you think, buddy? Yeah, I think that's kind of been probably the biggest knock uh, against the NBA over the last decade or so has been the kind of the lack of of uh, parity with uh, within teams in the league. You've always got three or four teams that are either blowing out uh, teams every night, or you know, are are always a kind of a shoe in to win. Uh, like you mentioned, the the Golden State Warriors. We we saw I think it was five straight years where we had the same two teams in the finals with. Uh, the with the Warriors and the Cavs. Uh, to me, as a as a fan of basketball and as a fan of the NBA, I like to see competitive games. You know, blowouts are never really fun to watch. Even though, you know, you're seeing high scoring games, it's you kind of lose uh, interest when you're seeing teams up twenty twenty five points every night. So I think uh, I think that the NBA should definitely do something about this. You know, we mentioned the one instance where they they vetoed a trade with uh, Chris Paul going to LA. If you look at that instance, even though the Lakers had won two back-to-back championships at that point, they weren't really that deep of a team. They weren't really that stacked of a team outside of Kobe and maybe Pau Gasol. They didn't really have any other big names there in their lineup. Where, as we also mentioned, you, you had the the Miami Heat with LeBron, Bosch, and Wade, which was, I would say, probably a way way deeper team, a lot more firepower there. And then I think it there also is a little bit difference in terms of the Warriors where their three-star players were like homegrown talent. They're teams that players that they developed that they drafted. So I think in that case, uh, that's fine. You know, they just had a really strong team. They were able to draft well. But if you look at this in- instance with the Nets, so they're nine and one in their last ten games without Griffin. They're fourteen and five since Harden joined the team, and they've only played seven games with their big three in the lineup. So they're already 
on a roll without really seeing a good sample size of the big three players playing together. And now adding Blake Griffin on top of that, you're only making the team stronger. You also, you've also got Joe Harris, who's a light, lights-out three-point shooter, who's won the three-point contest in the past. We've also mentioned DeAndre Jordan when he played with the Clippers with uh, with Griffin. Uh, he's an outstanding rebounder, two-time uh, league leader in that category, and a two-time NBA All-Defense. So you've already have a team that has pretty much four, maybe five All-Stars, and then you're adding... Uh, you're adding another player of Blake Griffin who's had a pretty solid career up to this point. Maybe he's a little bit past his prime, but I think uh, the the NBA definitely should do something in terms of this. I'd rather see more competitive teams, uh, more playoff series going seven games instead of sweeps going all the way through to the finals. So I think the the league definitely has something to do with uh needs to step in and change what's going on here. Yeah, you know, I 100% agree that this is a joke. Uh, it's not good for the game. It's not good for uh, the product that's on the court when you've got a handful of teams that, by and large, are much more competitive than the rest of the league. But I personally, the way I look at it, I don't even think the the question. It's a question of vetoing or uh, putting restrictions on what you can and can't do. As far as it's an open market. Um, these are all businesses that are free to sign whomever they want. And the minute that the NBA gets involved, they're going down a slippery slope that I don't think they want to face when it comes to them and their relationship as far as front office and the commissioner's office and dealing with owners directly and and in teams, right? So I don't think they're going to want to piss off the teams in that sense and that kind of limiting what they can and can't do. What I think they should be doing uh, is putting more weight behind the salary cap and making sure that teams are compliant within it. There's a reason why it's there. The salary cap in all sports is there in order to make sure the league is competitive. No team is overspending and no team is underspending so that we have as much parity as we can. You look at the NBA right now, out of all all teams, so out of all 30 teams in the NBA, there's only three teams that are compliant with the salary cap right now. Three teams. The Knicks, the Hornets, and the Thunder. They're the only ones under the cap. Every other team is over the cap by at least $1.7 million. You look at the top, Golden State, they're $63 million over the cap. And Brooklyn, now that they've added Griffin, they're $56.2 million over the cap. So that's where larger penalties, larger, like these type of infractions need to be penalized to the point where it's not worth it for you to spend $50 million more than the cap to be competitive. Find a different way. Source your talent inwards, develop your players the right way, rather than just go out there, open the drawstrings of your purse and sign whoever the hell you want and just be instantly competitive. Because all you're doing is watering down the competition across the league and nobody wants that. The other teams don't want that and and the fans that are watching it, other than your fans, don't want that either. Nobody wants just one or two or three teams just kicking the crap out of everyone else. That's not good for the game. That's not good for for the product on the court. So maybe a solution uh, to what you mentioned is you mentioned there's a bunch of teams over the cap. Maybe, well, right now they've got the what they call the luxury tax in the NBA and I think in the MLB as well where yeah. teams can, can forfeit a, a certain amount of money depending on how much over the cap they are. Maybe the solution is to completely remove that and really enforce the salary cap. And if you can't make it work, then you're forced to to cut your, your lineup and maybe that way we'll 
it's might be the only way to to see a change yeah double double whatever you're over the cap you're fine that much that's the kind of tax i like to see you're 63 you're 60,000 60 million dollars over the cap you owe 120 million dollars in fines and that's the way you keep people compliant spoken like a true government worker like a true <laughs> liberal like a true liberal coming soon to the commissioner's office of the nba george so speaking about our our canadian product where we're talking about politics and liberals and whatnot i want to talk a little bit about the cross pollination is what i'm going to call it between the cfl and the xfl so if you've probably seen it with the new partnership that they've come together with uh we're not quite sure what this is going to mean for the cfl just yet the details are still a little murky uh what we do know is that the two two leagues are going to collaborate and not necessarily merge into one but to work together uh, and like I said, we don't really know what that looks like yet, but a lot of people are a little bit worried because for those of us that are the diehard purists of the CFL and love our Canadian football, this could mean the loss of a lot of those pure Canadian rules and, and pure things that are make the CFL the CFL, essentially. Uh, so, for example, three down football, if you're merging with the XFL and you're kind of sharing talent or one is being a pipeline to the other, are we looking now at the CFL going to four down football uh, just to be relevant or to be consistent with the XFL? Uh, we're looking size of the field. Are we going to something a bit more narrow like we see in, in American football? And then, of course, the Canadian ratio that a lot of people actually don't know about the CFL. Very interesting part. Every, every CFL team has to have a minimum of 21 Canadians on their roster and seven Canadian starters. So this is a very, like I said, Canadian CFL um, rule that makes the CFL the CFL. And if we're going to partner with the XFL now, the question is, are those type of things on the way out in order to accommodate the XFL and American football as a whole? Um, so I want to get your guys' opinion on this. Where do you see this going? Do you think this is a good thing or a bad thing? I think we know with no season happening last year because of COVID, the CFL, who's already not a money giant when it comes to revenue, that definitely hurt. Um, and so I'm sure there's a lot of organizations, a lot of the teams within the CFL are, are bleeding out a little bit financially. This is probably going to help a little bit from a, from a finance perspective. But do you think this is the right move for the CFL? Coach, what do you think? I mean, you got to make money where you can. At the end of the day, I think this is about making money. The CFL requested $150 million from the Canadian government last year and did not receive the funding. That's why they didn't play uh, due to COVID, obviously. I think this is a way for them to get back into the swing of things. I think when you talk about uh, f football, the standard is the NFL. Even if you ask people around here, they will tell you that they watch the NFL more than they do the CFL, which is kind of unfortunate, but there's reasons. NFL puts out better players. I think I think the rules, especially with the downs, I think I think playing with three downs is really stupid. I've never, never enjoyed that. Uh, me watching the NFL... The plays that happen on third down are usually really big plays, really important plays. But here in Canada, third down, you got to punt and you got to go for a field goal. I don't like that at all. Now, I do like the fact that this kind of agreement between this CFL and the XFL will give a chance to these guys who are who, in the past, were not known, were not on anybody's radar in the United States. A lot of guys just play CFL a couple years, 
and then and then they're done. I think another thing that could help is by playing in this league, it could lead to these guys possibly having a chance in the NFL. NFL is more exposure. Obviously, you're getting paid a lot more, which I think is, you know, I think is important. I think the people that say that I play because it's my passion, I agree. But I think, you know, I think after a certain while, that's bullshit. I get it that you love the game. But if you're risking your body like that, you shouldn't have to work another job in the offseason. You shouldn't have to risk getting a concussion, hurting your knee, hurting your shoulder, hurting whatever, to make less money than some people I know personally. And then in the offseason have to go work in your hometown doing I don't know what. So I think this opportunity will be great because in the end, the players that really stand out will be able to go into the NFL and earn big money and make big plays and really be you know, a hometown hero. The small guy that came out of nowhere and all of a sudden is playing in the NFL. That's a story you love to hear. And it's not happening all too often. So I think this will be a great change, but three-down football is really stupid. What do you think, Sadie? Yeah, I well, to start off with, I think when you look at the CFL and the XFL, they're kind of both picking out of the same pool of players. Uh, all players that aren't quite good enough to make it into the NFL. So maybe one way that I can maybe see this working out would almost be like what you see in uh, European football, where you have a team that owns the rights to the player, and then they loan they loan those players out. So maybe you've got the CFL, who's a more established league, a more established product. They own they own the rights to the players, and then they have they they're able to then loan the uh, loan those players to, for example, the XFL. So we all, we kind of all know that the CFL starts off way earlier than uh, football does in the States. Uh, so if you've got, maybe uh, you delay the start of the XFL season, maybe you push up the CFL to start in early June, you've got less overlap between the two leagues, and that also allows, for one, uh, the loaning of players at the end of the CFL season, and for two, it, also, it would also then allow, uh, as we mentioned, CFL players don't make all that much money. Oftentimes they're, they need to... Uh, get a second job in the off season to to make ends meet. So this will then allow them to continue playing the sport they love, continue making money doing that, and then maybe they don't have to go out uh, and work that that part time job in the summer in the off season. Uh, I think that might be a way that they can make that work. In terms of the w- rules, I'm not all too concerned about that. Uh, whether they keep the the Canadian rules or they switch over to the NFL rules, I think I don't think it'll be too big of an impact when it comes to that. Uh, but I think it'll be an interesting partnership, and it's interesting to see what they work out. Uh, but that's kind of what I what I think might be a solution to how they can make things work between the two leagues. Yeah, I, I think personally, um, when it comes to CFL or Canadian rules, um, I'm one of the first ones to get super annoyed and, and frustrated with the three downs of football. Maybe you run the ball once, you throw the ball a second time on second down, incomplete pass, now you're punting the ball away, and that's that's your offensive possession. Uh, so a lot of that is sometimes frustrating, but then at the same time, I think whatever makes the Canadian Football League Canadian, I'm all for as well. That That Thanksgiving that we have in the fall, and you know you've got CFL football on, and, and that makes me happy, and that brings joy to, to my life, really. 
and so I think whatever keeps the CFL around ultimately is a good thing. If that means partnering with the XFL and giving up certain things that we're accustomed to here in Canada, as far as CFL rules, I'm living, I'm willing to live with that if it means the CFL can stick around. Because I think it is a mainstay in, in Canadian culture. It's something that's purely Canadian. Um, and it's something that's ours that we should be, be valuing and keeping around. And so that's what I'm, I'm all for. So we'll see what comes of it. Um, I think ultimately you look at it a few weeks ago, I, I, uh, I was privileged enough to listen to a, uh, a conversation through work about um, two NFLers that are Canadian, from Ottawa, actually, uh, Ili Anku and Neville Gallimore. And, and they spoke about kind of their rise to the NFL. They're both playing with the Dallas Cowboys now. And their rise to the NFL and, and what they kind of had to face as far as discrimination, uh, being African-Canadian players. Uh, aside from that, though, I thought what it really came to light was like, these are homegrown Canadian talent that we're so proud to say are playing in the NFL. And ultimately, our goal, like it is in hockey, like it is in soccer, like it is in basketball, is to have our local Canadian kids move on to the highest league there is, and that is the NFL. And so if this partnership with the XFL can provide an opportunity to develop more Canadian talent, while keeping the CFL around for that second tier of talent, because we have to admit that is a second tier of talent, it's never going to compete with the NFL, then that's still a good thing for, for Canadian football. If we can do the, both those things, I'm willing to, to say, screw the rules. I'm willing to watch four down football because, as you said, oftentimes I actually prefer it. Uh, and the ratio thing is a ratio thing, right? You may not have necessarily 21 Canadians on your roster, but if you've got 15 and you're giving them a better quality development then it's probably worth it in the long run so that's kind of how i feel on that so that's that uh how about we talk a little bit about some nfl football drew Brees, one of the legends a future hall of famer called it a career after 20 seasons uh, earlier this week so i want to i want to throw that out to you boys where do you rank Brees in your all-time list of, of nflers even either either quarterbacks or just all-time nflers uh, well, I'm going to keep it quarterback-wise. I think it's very difficult to compare players in different positions just because how different they are. In terms of quarterbacks, as much as I hate to say it, I think Tom Brady's cemented his spot as number one uh, of all time. And then I kind of slot Breeze uh, maybe 2B. So I would, I would say probably Joe Montana has got to be second. Uh even though we didn't really get a chance to watch him play, we're a little too young for that. But I think in terms of uh, the legacy he left, the the championships he won, I think he's he's a good solid pick for second. And then I would maybe I would put Breeze uh, right around kind of his uh, his level. You know, he only won the one Super Bowl with New Orleans, but every year the Saints were a championship contender. Uh, and we've kind of mentioned over the, the past few podcasts uh, about what NFL players mean, not only on the field, but off the field. This is a guy who came into New Orleans uh, at a devastating time right after Hurricane Katrina, and he kind of took the city as a whole on his back, and he carried through them through the, carried them through that whole, uh, that whole travesty. He was a huge pillar in the community. 
uh, Walter Payton, Walter Payton, Man of the Year winner. I think what he did on the field, you can't you can't dispute that. You can't refute it. And uh, on the field, you know, he was always contending for championships. You know, he every until well until now he was fighting against Tom Brady every week to to see who would break the new the new record in terms of uh, touchdown passes and yard total yards. So I think he's definitely got to be up there, and I, I would put him third overall. Uh, I would say he's just above Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers has a little bit more work to do to catch up to him, but I think overall Bruce, uh, Drew Brees is probably third on the list. I'm going to go number two. As you mentioned, it's without a doubt that the greatest quarterback of all time is Tom Brady. All he's accomplished, but I think Brees slides in at a cool number two. I know you make a good point with Joe Montana. We didn't get to watch him play, and that's fair. Although I, I want to acknowledge that through time, players have gotten stronger, bigger, and faster. And I think for a guy like Drew Brees to stick around in the NFL for as many years as he did is impressive. I was reading a stat somewhere where the average lifespan of an NFL player is three years. I think that was for running backs, but anyways, your career is not supposed to last as long as this. You take brutal hits, especially at the quarterback spot, where sometimes your offensive line is not up to par, and there's some nights you get mangled, and he's battled injury, but he's always come back stronger. Yeah, he's got the one Super Bowl, he beat my beloved Colts, which was one of the best games I've ever watched, even though the Colts lost, whatever. But if you look at his stats, I have some stats here for you guys, alright? He's thrown over 80,000 yards. That's the most all-time. 80,000 yards. A football field's 100 yards. 80,000 yards, guys. Mind you, Tom Brady's still playing, just signed a new contract, so he'll be right there to he'll be right there to break the record in no time, but nonetheless, that's impressive. I think we get real like I think through his time we really didn't get to appreciate him due to the fact that we had Tom Brady in his prime, we had, you know, the Manning brothers, not Eli too much, but older brother Peyton, I think, I think can go down as no doubt a Hall of Famer. And then you had the evolution of Aaron Rodgers, the Russell Wilsons, and I think Breeze kind of just flew under the radar a little bit, in my opinion, due to the fact that he's only been, only been to the Super Bowl once. And, and I, I, I think he slots in at a cool two, as we said. Brady's number one, and uh, but but Breeze really slides in at the number two spot for me, and and you know I I'd, I'd like to hear otherwise. I don't know, you know I I don't know who else could slide into that spot, unless Aaron Rodgers in the next few years throws for forty fifty touchdowns a year, which is not likely. But anyways, I think Breeze slides in at the two spot. George, I I actually like. I like Montana at either the two or three because he's back and forth with Peyton Manning for me. So I'd put Breeze at four. I, I think you look at Peyton Manning's pedigree, two Super Bowls, five-time MVP. That calls, like, anything you kind of give to Breeze, Peyton's probably done a bit more of, um, with the exception of total passing yards. Um, and so that's nothing to nothing against Breeze, personally. I just think... If I was to rank, obviously I'm with you guys. Brady number one, that's without a doubt. Montana and Manning, Peyton Manning, are, are my number two, three, maybe a two A, two B, uh, and then I've got Breeze right there, right after them. And so he's an elite company. 
he's in he's in my top five without doubt. As I said, future Hall of Famer. Uh, guy's a legend, and it's it's sad that we're not going to get to see him play anymore. Uh, because I think he he still had it. He was still competing at a very high level all the way till those last games. So, all the best to Drew Brees on a great career. One of the best that's ever going to play football, especially at the quarterback position. So let's jump to some hockey here. One thing, Coach and I were, were talking earlier this week, and I, I think Coach Couch Scout was included as well, and, and we were talking about kind of the eligibility for Rookie of the Year in the NHL. So we know the Minnesota Wild. Uh, we've got Kaprizov there. Uh, he's currently the odds-on favorite to win the Rookie of the Year. He's 23 years old, though. This is his first year in the NHL, so he is technically a rookie in that standpoint. But... He's 23 years old, and he already played four seasons in the KHL. So he's got 24 points in 26 games this year with the Wild. Um, I don't know. I personally feel a little bit weird about this one because I don't think he should be held to the same standard as far as the quote-unquote rookie as guys like Stutzler does or um, Lafreniere. Uh, Quentin Byfield, any of those other rookies that are actually rookies this year. Like we look at it, 23 years old, he's Mitch Marner's age. Mitch Marner's not going up and nor should he be going up for rookie of the year. So do you guys agree that he technically shouldn't be considered a rookie? Should this be something like about age? Like there should, should there be a limit over of like 23 years old or 22 or 21 years old is the limit? Or should it stay like it is where it's really kind of seasons played up to a certain age uh you know what to me a rookie is a rookie even though he's 23 years old uh you know this is his first league first season in the nhl uh he doesn't have any he never had any more experience than like you say stutzla had coming into the season so um even though he might have a few years on him i think what really plays a, a bigger role uh in terms of uh proving yourself in the league is you know how many games have you played your experience in the league that has a bigger impact than your age. I think uh, you can come in as an 18 year old or you can come in as a 23 year old. If you haven't played in the NHL at that point, uh, you don't know how you're going to do. Right. So even though he's coming in a little, maybe a little older, uh, I think to me, it still says a lot being able to put up 24 points in 26 games. Uh, I think says a lot in terms of coming in from the KHL to the NHL doesn't seem like he skipped a beat. So to me, I think he should still be in the running for rookie of the year. A uh, rookie meaning, you know, first first season in the league. So for me, I have no problem with this. And, uh, you know, let the rookies be rookies. Fuck that. Let me tell you why. You got a guy like Tim Stutzel, okay? Alexis Lafreniere. Mind you, Alexis Lafreniere is, I think, was rushed way too early into that team. And is not doing too well. So, I mean, what are you going to do, right? But you look at a guy like Tim Stutzel. Recently won the Rookie of the Month. And how old is Stutzel? He's 18. Or 19. I'm I'm not sure. But he's sure as hell not the age, the same age as uh, Kaprizov, right? Yeah, he played, a, he, he played, I don't know, a year, half a year in the German League, which is not even comparable to playing in the big league, you know, the KHL. I think the KHL is the closest thing in terms of hockey, as we have in the NHL here, right? It's a lot of ex-NHLers, they go play in that league because they're offered more money or they feel like they can't play in the NHL anymore. I think the rule that the NHL has where you're considered a rookie 
as long as you play in your first year until the age of 26 is ridiculous. For those of you who didn't know, that's the that's the criteria. Your first year until you're 26. So you can get drafted at 18. Your team goes, we don't want to sign you yet. We think you should go play in Europe. And you could end up there for four years, five years. Then all of a sudden they sign you to an entry-level deal. Well, you've got five years of professional hockey under your belt. Whereas you got a guy like Stutzel, you got a guy like Alexis Lafreniere who's only played junior hockey until now. I think it's unfair. I think the nice part about having these 18-year-olds on your team is the opportunity to watch them grow from game one until game 82. And then be able to pick who the rookie of the year is on that. I think the NHL should change the rule to instead of having the age of 26, you bring it down. You bring it down to three years from when they were drafted. So say you get drafted in 2021, you're eligible to become the rookie of the year within three years. If you're a first round pick, I think your team is inclined to sign you to an entry level deal sooner rather than later. That's why you were picked that high. If they didn't think that highly of you, they wouldn't waste their pick on you. So I think it really affects the chance at a guy like Stutzel to actually, you know, have a chance to win this. Because as George said, Kaprizov is having a hell of a year, hats off to him. But he's got four or five years under his belt that Stutzel does not have. So I really think that the NHL should really think about that and maybe make that change. Rather than, you know, giving it to a quote-unquote first-year player, a rookie. Yeah, NHL rookie, but... I mean, he's got four years under his belt. I just don't think it's fair. I mean, you look at it, and to me, it's all about measuring stick. And there's a four-year gap there. And that's just Stutzel. Now, to me also, he's coming from the KHL, and we know that there's a lot of elite Russian talent. We see it every year in the World Juniors. We see it every year whenever there's an Olympic or a national team for the Russians. A lot of Russia's top talent... Not their top, top talent, but a lot of their top talent stays in the KHL, stays in Russia because they don't have an interest in coming to North America. Now, you've got the guys that are like the elite talent, the Malkins, the Ovechkins. Those guys obviously are making the leap to the NHL. But there's a lot, a huge tier of top elite European talent that's staying in the KHL. And so Kaprizov, in this case, has spent four years playing against probably the second best talent in the world developing maturing growing into his body becoming a man at 23 years old and now he comes and he's being measured within the same measuring stick as a 19 year old that just turned 19 in january who's been playing who's played half a year with adults in in in, in germany otherwise or in the case of lafreniere playing against 18 17 16 year olds and i just don't understand how we can un- we can compare the two together apples and oranges i don't see how one guy who's had a lot more time to mature and develop can be considered a better rookie than somebody else even though he's got this kind of advantage that he's taken his time to get there yeah it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see you know who wins rookie of the year i mean as you mentioned kaprizov's probably the probably the favorite but there's still a couple months left in the years, so we'll see how things unfold. But uh, as a as an Ottawa fan, uh, I'm really hoping that the NHL gives it to Stutzel. So we'll see how uh, these next few months go. So I guess I guess when the Gym Class Zeros podcast crew members have a vote in the Rookie of the Year voting, we know who's who's voting for Stutzel. 
Let's jump in. I, I want to kind of stay on that topic. We talked about a lot about Stutzla, and, and I want to stay on the topic of the Sens here. I'm sure you guys saw the comments coming out of the Senators' former captain, Eric Carlson, uh, basically basically talking about his situation in San Jose right now, saying he doesn't want to go through a rebuild. He doesn't want to go through basically what he went through for 10 years in Ottawa. Uh, and so I know a lot of people in the Ottawa market kind of took that as a slap in the face. Didn't really appreciate that, kind of saying, like, what are you saying? Are you bad-mouthing the Senators organization now? He's obviously still very beloved and always will be here in Ottawa. And so, especially you, Coach, as a, as a Sens diehard like I am, I want to get your, your opinion and your thoughts on what kind of Eric Carlson said and how you took that specifically. I love Eric Carlson as a hockey player, but as a, as a, as a you know, an individual, a human being, I think, I think the more I get to know about him, the more I think he's a scumbag. I mean, yeah, he he played in Ottawa for nine, ten years, and for him to say that he was part of a rebuild the entire time is absolute bullshit. Yeah, the Sens had their rough years, but they had their years where they made the playoffs. And if you look back to 2017, where you're one goal away from the Stanley Cup Finals, you can't call that a rebuild. You got to be fucking kidding me if you're calling that a rebuild. You're a clown. You're a clown. And 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 to add on to my high opinion of Eric as an individual, I was with a friend. We were at the mall. We were at the Rito Center. Now, this friend of mine uh, is a friend of his his wife, which I think at the time was his uh, fiancé. And, and we're walking through the mall, and we see her and him walking, and he stops and says hello. And I stop and say hello because I'm with him, just the kind of guy I am, I'm just a nice guy. I shake her hand. I shake his hand. I go, hi, Eric. My name is Coach Baba. I'm a huge fan. He goes, yeah, you should be. And at that point, I lost absolute respect for Eric Carlson as an individual. Now, he's met a million people. So he, if he ever hears this, he's probably not going to remember, but I don't give a fuck. After that point, I lost respect for Eric Carlson as a person. So to hear him make these comments... I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. And you don't want to rebuild here, fine. You're going to rebuild with the Sharks. And they're going to be brutal for many, many years. So I think the highlight of your time with the Sharks, Eric, is going to be you sitting by the pool in the offseason, getting your skin all gold, while the Sens, not saying this year, but in a couple years, will be making a push in the playoffs. So you could take your 11.5 million and stick it where the sun don't shine. And let me fucking tell you, I'm glad you're gone, buddy. Oh, I love it. Thanks for the anecdote. We're always down for a good story, coach. Let's jump to a little bit of baseball here. It was recently announced with the state of Texas basically dropping all COVID restrictions across the the state that the Texas Rangers plan on having 100% capacity come opening day. Uh, and so, Coach, we'll come right back to you here. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think this is a good move? Do you think this is just wild? Where, where do you stand on this? If I can sum that headline up into one word, it's America. And uh, I think they've always been kind of loose with this whole COVID thing. Some people think it's a hoax. People, ref- you know, they refuse to wear masks. They refuse to respect social distancing. And 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 I think that's you know, really unfortunate. I can't say I'm surprised coming from the state, 
from that state, from Texas. 100% crowds. Uh, I definitely don't like that. I think you're going to see a spike in in the cases down there. But I mean, at the end of the day, it is America's pastime. And I think people are willing to put everything aside to be able to be be in the stadium to watch live ball. So I, I think it's stupid. But at the end of the day, everything is done state you know, statewide, I think, I think every state has a different approach and, uh, I just think they don't really give a shit. So it'll be interesting to hear how many Rangers games will get canceled and postponed come, uh, come, uh, April and May. Yeah. Shout out to all our fans in, in Texas. Uh, I think, I think at this point it's pretty clear that, uh, the state of Texas probably doesn't even still doesn't believe in, in COVID. Uh, to me, it's kind of silly that, that they're, that they're saying that they'll have full crowds uh, when the season's kind of scheduled to s- start uh, relatively soon and the pandemic is still in uh, going strong. So to me, there's, uh, I don't even know what to say. I'm kind of speechless that they would even put that out there. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of the comedians are moving down there because te- the state of Texas isn't really believing in COVID. They don't believe in social distancing. So it's not really a surprise, like kind of like coach mentioned, but uh, at the end of the day, it just kind of reflects on their, their political stance and, and uh, their lack of respect uh, with the, with the COVID uh, pandemic. If I was to describe this in any way, I would just say I would have been disappointed if the Texas baseball team didn't have a hundred percent population or a hundred percent capacity on their first game of the season. That's just pure Texas. And we're going to leave that at there. We're going to leave that. Everything's there. bigger in Texas guys. Everything's bigger in Texas. Don't forget. Including the COVID cases. <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> so let's jump into our last segment here before we do a quick round table. Uh, we've got the trademarked bet of the week soon to be sponsored by some sort of betting company. They seem to just sponsor anything and everything. So coming soon to a podcast near you, fingers crossed, Better the Week will be sponsored by someone. For now, it's sponsored by your three favorite guys on the podcast. So March Madness is kicking off on March 18th. That's two days away from the day we're recording. Uh, so probably one day away from when you're listening to this. Um, so roundtable here to you guys. Who are you taking to win it all this year? Seti, let's start with you, buddy. Yeah, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh Right around the corner, I think games kick off on Thursday. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for me, my pick is, is has to be the Baylor Bears. Uh, There's, I think they're ranked number one uh, in their their part of the bracket. Uh, they're a solid offensive team, but you know what? I what I really think sets them apart is their uh, their strong and ad- uh, aggressive defense. They're a very solid aggressive team. Now I know as maybe the casual fan, that's not really what you're looking to see in a crazy tournament like this. But I think at the end of the day, it's really is what's going to set them apart. They'll be able to shut teams down along with their solid offense. I think Baylor's a a good pick. Obviously they're ranked number one in their bracket. So they're a solid team. Unfortunately, I'm not going to go with the underdog this year, but uh, I've got the Baylor bears winning it all uh, against Gonzaga in the finals. Too bad. You didn't go with like a 16 seed or something out of the East. I'm going with the number one seed in the West and actually the number one seed in the whole tournament, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. 
Offensively, they're number one in offensive efficiency right now across the NCAA basketball. Number 10 in defense efficiency and the number four in tempo. So when I'm looking at this, I, I can see they're, they're great on both ends of the ball on offense and defense, and they play real fast. It's a real fast team up and down the court. And I think, especially in the NCAA game, um, you're, that's going to give a lot of trouble for a lot of teams. Uh, and then you add in, they've got two future NBA draft lottery picks in Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert. I think this team is is the team to beat, no doubt about it. Uh, they're, they're undefeated through the regular season. And then if they should win this tournament, they'll be actually the first undefeated national champion since Indiana in 1976. So fun little fact for you guys there. Coach, who you got? Yeah, you guys were so quick to pick number one seeds. It's unbelievable. I'm going to pick the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I like the fact that they're kind of rated at the number five. I think I think they're rated a little low. Are they considered an underdog? I don't know. I mean, if you look at the top four teams in all the other, all the other regions, they fly under the radar a little bit. They haven't been in the tournament since 2017 where they lost to the Michigan Wolverines by one point. Uh, just an absolutely heartbreaking game for them. So uh, they're coming back with a vengeance. Um, they've got a they've they've got a player, Cade Cunningham, uh, who's in his first year at the college. Uh, six foot six combo guard, averaging 20 points a game. Uh, I was doing some reading on him and... Um, He's being compared to a guy like NBA legend Grant Hill. Grant Hill was about the same size. It kind of played the same way as him. So a, a lot of praise on that end if you're going to compare a young man to a guy like Hill. Other experts have him actually going uh, first overall in the NBA draft this year. So all eyes will be on him. And I think this um, this time will be you know a good opportunity to watch him and to see how he really plays when when games are tight, when games are on the line. You know, is is he the guy that you go to to take that shot? I think so. So yeah, they're ranked. Uh, as I said, they're ranked five, and they're to play the first round. Uh, first round matchup will be on March nineteenth, so on Friday. So I'll be, uh, I'll have the TV on. I'll be watching the Cowboys. And uh, guys, I just want to be clear: it's the only Cowboys team I cheer for. I do not support the Dallas Cowboys. Thank you very much. Uh, I think one thing that's kind of important to mention here where we all kind of mentioned uh, rankings in terms of the the bracket a lot of teams were really impacted by covid this year so i think that played uh, an impact on their their standings uh throughout their their individual schedules uh, in the regular season uh so i think maybe the the rankings coming into this tournament might not be as accurate as they are most years so i think in terms of pure rankings, uh, we'll probably be seeing a lot of upsets this year because you got some pretty solid teams that aren't ranked as high because they were either uh, impacted by COVID or had games canceled uh, due to that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Sounds a lot like my fantasy hockey team, just destroyed by COVID. That's it for another episode, though. And before we let you guys go, I want to do a quick roundtable. Coach, what's on your mind this week as we uh, call it an episode? We get closer to MLB opening day. We've got March Madness. We've got uh, NHL season rolls along. We're starting the unofficial second half of the season. So uh, this is the time of year where I think I think the pros will separate from the Joes. Sorry, Seti, but I'm glad to see the Habs are are not doing too well. You could chirp Ottawa all you want. The season's already gone to shit anyway, so. Save your breath, bro. Save your breath. 
yeah, for myself, uh, just hoping that the Raptors can turn things around. They've been in a little bit of a slump as of late. You know, they were really hit hard by COVID. Hoping that their players will come back healthy and strong and hopefully they can turn things around uh, right at the most important part of the season. Beautiful. Thanks, boys. For me personally, my Man City Blues, they're on to the quarterfinals of the Champions League with a a big win against uh, Russia, Mönchengladbach, whatever, however you say that. And so that's what I'm excited about today on this Tuesday, March 16th. Uh, I'm also excited to be able to provide you with another episode of this podcast. We're having a blast. We hope you're having a blast listening. Once again, you can follow us on Twitter at GymClassZeroesPod with a zero and on Instagram at GymClassZeroesPod. Thank you for listening. Hope you subscribe. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and hope to see you next time or hear you next time. Have a great, great day wherever and whenever you're listening to this. And one more thing, guys. One more thing, guys. We are March 16th. We're 316. Not your Bible verse, but shout out to Stone Cold Steve Austin, the baddest man on the planet. I'm fired up. I am fired up. You're a clown. I'm glad you're gone, buddy. That's the kind of tax I like to see.